we will invest as little as ten thousand each, or as much as a million dollars each. That's the very, very high end. So, depending on how much we're invested, depends on how much time we'll allocate to kind of advising and engaging with with the founders and helping them along the way. I've spent the last two years learning from the best social media entrepreneurs out there and implementing the skills and ideas they have taught me in order to grow two successful social media businesses. After some time though, I realized that social media was only part of the story. As I expanded my network, I kept finding young entrepreneurs with multi-million or even billion dollar businesses that weren't doing anything on social media. Instead of building their personal brand and selling courses, these entrepreneurs were solving massive market needs by creating the next Airbnb or Uber. But the real question is, as a young entrepreneur, which of these options is best for us? Social media influencer or startup founder? That's where this podcast comes in. With a mix of interviews with people from both sides of the aisle, you can see what appeals to you and how you can take the steps to start and grow your business immediately. Join me and follow along as I sit down with some of the top social media influencers and startup founders in the world to ask the most important questions and extract the information you need without the fluff you don't. My name is Apple Kreider and welcome to Young Smart Money. How is it going? Welcome back to the show. Got a really exciting episode for y'all today. So as you guys know, recently I was at FinCon in Washington, D.C. speaking about how to grow a podcast using Instagram. So was at this event, and as you do at events, I mean, I connected with some really, really amazing people, um, including Graham Stephan, who we heard about in the last episode of the show. So if you guys haven't checked that one out yet, definitely do. He is somebody who I've looked up to for a long time, and it was really cool sitting down with him at the event um, and digging a bit deeper than the stuff that he talks about all the time. But that is not who we're talking to today. Today, we are sitting down with two amazing, amazing individuals, uh, Dave and Chris from Dumb Money. So Dumb Money is, is a really, really cool project that I got to learn more about at the event. And, and basically, Dumb Money as, as a term basically defines like you and me. Uh, when Wall Street looks at you and me, they, they call us Dumb Money, okay? Because we are not the, the hedge fund managers. We are not the, the, the top of the top uh, of people who, who are investing. We are the quote unquote Dumb Money who is, is doing our own stuff and really just sort of getting by, you know? So so we are Dumb Money, and what Chris and Dave and Jordan, who is the third member of Dumb Money, who was not able to make it to the interview, what those three decided to do was they wanted to share with the world basically what they had accomplished as quote-unquote Dumb Money, okay? And their accomplishments are, are pretty amazing. So they were able to turn about $10,000 into about $40 million over the course of 10 years through two main avenues, which we are going to dive into throughout the podcast. So the first avenue that we're going to dive into is trading stocks. Okay, that was that was one of the main ways that they were able to um, grow their wealth so significantly in a relatively short amount of time. Okay, and Chris is going to talk about how he uh, and, and Jordan developed this software called ticker tags. And ticker tags, super, super interesting uh, concept that Chris is going to dive deeper into, so I'm not going to spoil it too much, but but using ticker tags was how they were really able to to amass that, that significant amount of wealth so quickly. And then the second part of it was investing in early stage startups. So uh, Dave, Chris, and Jordan are all very active in the startup scene in Texas where they are based. So really, if, if there are any uh, up-and-coming startups in Texas, uh, these three guys 
are the first to know about it and they have invested in i believe about 50 or so startups at this point in time um, with investments ranging anywhere from uh, about ten thousand dollars to about a million dollars in each venture so through those two avenues they were able to significantly grow their wealth in a very short amount of time which is what we're going to dive into in this episode again as you guys know we recently decided uh, to uh, shift the show more into comparing like the social media influencer business model to the startup business model these guys are very much so in in the startup side Graham Stephan that we talked to last time, very much on the social media side. So getting these two sides of the coin, I think it's going to be really, really valuable to y'all as we go. Quick side note here before we hop into the interview. If there is a little bit of background noise, you'll have to forgive us. We were recording live at the event. Uh, They had some podcast stages set up, so we were on one of those stages. So uh, there were uh, definitely some people around um, watching, taking videos and whatnot. So so there might be a little bit of background noise here. You'll have to forgive us. Um, I'm sure the information will far outweigh um, any little background noises here and there. So without further ado, um, I'm super stoked to welcome Chris and Dave to Young Smart Money. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. All right, Chris, Dave, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are y'all doing today? We are doing great. Awesome. And, and we are dumb money. We're yeah. old dumb money, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Old, the old dumb money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stoked for it, man. So uh, I'm curious. So just give our listeners a quick background as to uh, where you guys are at right now. I know you guys have a, a, a long story that we can get into. Um, but just as far as like dumb money and what you guys are up to right now, uh, give the listeners a quick like 60 second snapshot of, of what dumb money is and what you guys are currently working on. Yeah, I, I think, you know, dumb money is considered, you know, ordinary people are dumb money, right? They're non-pedigreed. They don't maybe don't come from a financial background, right? They don't work on Wall Street. They're not working for a venture fund. So therefore, they're dumb money. They don't know what they're doing. That's who we are. We are technically dumb money. And we have somehow had extraordinary success investing in startups and trading public markets, trading stocks. So, you know, we want the world to understand that you don't have to be smart money. Even if you're dumb money, you can have extraordinary success in the markets and amazing success investing in startups, and that's what we do. And dumb money is all about showing the world how we invest, how we discover opportunities in the public markets and in early stage capital. It's what we were doing just on our own, meeting up every day, talking about which startups we were going to invest in and and which stocks we're looking at. We, we did it casually just in our own life and uh, decided let's share this with the world and, and put it on YouTube. Sure. So so investing in startups and even investing in, in the financial markets is not really something that most people do casually. So um, fill our listeners in on like how you, you got to that space. I mean, when did you first get introduced to the world of, of investing uh, both in, in startups and in the financial markets? Yeah, two, two very different storylines, right? I think we should maybe start with the startup investing. You know, we were startup operators. We, we've been in early stage companies basically our entire life, going all the way back to 98, com heyday. So, uh, you know, we just started off as employees at a startup, right? I mean, like everyone else, we were making, you know, close to minimum wage, you know, hoping that our stock would turn into something in 1999, and it didn't. And we stuck with it. Well, yes. it did briefly for me. I I, uh, I started working at Yahoo the day that the stock was added to the S and P five hundred. Wow! And that first year, when I hadn't vested any of my shares, I was a paper millionaire. But I couldn't do anything with it. Sure. And then I I stayed with the company for ten years, and so that was really my education into what it's like to to have a fast growing startup in kind of the heyday of that of that company. 
Okay, so what led you guys to pursuing jobs at these these smaller companies? I mean, why didn't you go to like like the big firms? Well, it, it was 1999, and uh, everyone was, you know, everyone was going for it. You know, if we were in LA, a lot of startups. I was at a startup. I had stock that was valued, I think, 2.7 million dollars at age 20, uh, and it fell apart. And it took me about a decade to make that money up, <laughs> right? But um, it, you know, 99, there was no other place to be. I mean, if you were alive and you were working, you were looking for a startup. You were looking for some equity. You were looking to get your piece of that crazy pie that was out there. Everyone was becoming an overnight millionaire. It was crazy time. Sure. So, so fill us in a sort of on that gap between like working for startups and then like going out to, to starting your own and then funding uh, other startups. How did that transition sort of work? And when did you decide to sort of start doing your own thing? Uh, I think we st we started doing our own thing when we had the opportunity to do our own thing. So af after we had worked in the corporate world for a while and kind of that was our education, um, we basically started a software company uh, and and grew it from from nothing to a couple of thousand paying customers. It was in the automotive space. It was a it was a software service kind of thing, and. Uh, we were able to sell that to a publicly traded company, and that was kind of our our nest egg now to go out and and try to repeat the process, try to, to try to start something else, and hopefully be able to exit. Yeah, sure. and, I, and I and I think you when you have that first exit, you know you have a couple options. Well, you could just do nothing, and that rarely happens. But usually, you start up another company, or you start investing and collaborating with other founders in their companies. And we did a little bit of both. We ended up starting additional companies on our own and collaborating and making some small and big investments because once you go through the cycle from founding a company to selling a company, you start to develop confidence that you know what it takes, right? You, you kind of lose you kind of lose that glass ceiling of, I can't do this. You're like, I can do anything, right? No matter how big yeah. or small the exit was, you're like, I can do it. I can maybe do it bigger next time or mm -hmm. I can help others do it. So it's really a natural transgression. It used to be where bankers would invest in startups, right? Yeah. And the last 10 or 15 years, it's transitioned to startup operators with successful exits now are the most common early stage investors and angel investors because we've been through it. We've been through that race. We understand it. We can help other founders go through that. And we think we could really bring value to that. Now we're invested in what day, 50 early stage companies. Uh, most of them in Texas, where, where we're, fr we're from. Wow. So was that your first venture, that, that automotive software company? That was the first venture that we owned ourselves, right? So yeah. like we had fairly, you know, fairly decent stakes in the companies we worked for um, over the course of time, but that was the first company that was ours. And um, it was great. We never took venture capital. We, you know, us as four partners, we own the entire company. We never answered to anyone. We didn't have a board of directors. If we had a big decision to make, the four of us, we were all best friends. It was so, it's so great. We'd get, we'd get in a room, we'd fight for an hour and a half, and we'd make our decision, and that was it. And when we sold the company, we didn't even have, didn't have a banker to help us sell it. We sold to a multi-billion-dollar publicly traded company, Dealer Track, um, and it was quite the experience doing it all on your own. Before that, in our, we were just kids, right? Yeah. So I mean, most most ventures don't do that well off the bat. Like most people's first venture. Uh, is, is not going to be like the thing that you're going to sell to a publicly traded company. So like yeah. what, what set you guys apart? When we say first venture, understand we've been starting companies sure. since we were okay, 13 okay, years yeah. old. We've so known like, each other since, yeah. since we were 13. Okay. And I, I, there's a lot of little little <laughs> startup ideas that we've had and failed. And By the time we graduated high school, we probably had 50, 
failures in startups that oh, we yeah. get started, we right? So by how many business cards we have. So every business <laughs> has a, a business card, and, and that was wow. kind of our... our there, there's a stack in our house. We have probably a stack of 100 business cards from the time we were 13 years old and all the companies we wow. started up and failed. I, when I was in high school, I would actually arbitrage merchandise at garage sales. So I would wake up uh, on Friday morning at 5 a.m., and I would go to estate sales and garage sales. And this is prior to eBay, right? So I would buy things that were mispriced and then I would sell them to dealers around the country. Like I had a guy that bought old fans. Huh. I had a guy that bought old watches. And so I would just try to find mispriced items and sell them. And that, that was our, we were just, we were always had a side hustle. We always had a dozen side hustles, even when we were 13, 14, 15 years old. It's kind of who we were. What's like the, what was the motivation behind that? I mean, like what got you to, to keep starting these ventures and to, to keep finding creative ways to, to create income? I don't know. What was wrong with us, Dave? I have no <laughs> idea. It's just, yeah, it's built into our personalities to want to start and, and eventually be successful at something. So it's just kind of, it's in our DNA. Huh. Yeah. Because a lot of people just don't have that. And, and I'm wondering if you guys have any insights on, on why that is. You know, I don't know. I, we've always had it, and I think it's okay not to. Um, sure. But if you have it, you know it, right? And like, you're just you're not going to stop until you finally hit it, right? <laughs> you yeah. go your whole life. I mean, we we got lucky along the way. Um, I think for us, it's more about the journey than the end product. Like, it was great when we sold our first company, and it was the exits we've had since then, and we've had a, a handful of them. Have all been amazing. But looking back, it was the journey of coming up with an idea or finding another person who has an idea and investing in them and holding their hand throughout that entire process and getting to experience that again and again through the eyes of founders that we're kind of cultivating in our network. That whole process of growing a, a business from nothing to something or coming in after the founder has, has gotten started and he's had maybe four employees and he's been around for a couple of years and growing that to 50 employees and growing their revenue in the, in the same trajectory. We, we, we had one recently that we just, we love this story. It's a company called Fixed Repair and we acquired, we bought about half the company when they were really small. We invest, not, oh, not quite that much, I'm sorry. Minority stake in the company, but worked very closely with the founders over the course of two years. Uh, had it was a roller coaster ride. Had so many ups and downs. At so at, at some points, the founders wouldn't even talk to us. We hated each other, right? Because we were the big bad investors who were, you know, coaching them and telling them, "No, you got to do this. You can't do that." We ultimately ended up selling the company after in less than two years to Angie's List, just a few months ago, wow. in a really nice exit. And it was after we had started our YouTube channel, Dumb Money, and we actually documented the process on Dumb Money, and we had this episode, the exit. And we were there for like, at that moment, the moment we got the phone call that Angie's List was making an offer for the company, we like our audience gets to live through that emotional process with us. And at the time we weren't talking to the founders and like huh. we bridged that gap and like made up with the founders and we kind of taped that for the show too. And it was like this really emotional thing of there's ups and downs, but at the end of the day, that journey was so special because you learn so much like we are we're we're old now right like and we're still learning every time we go through this cycle we realize wow we didn't realize anything a year ago two years ago like we're so much smarter today and like we're doing this with 50 companies right we have 50 startups that are in our portfolio and we're engaging with a good percentage of those startups on a regular basis 
how do you, I mean, 50 is a, is a big number. So, I mean, how are you, I mean, you said you were actively engaged with, with the fix it repair guys. So like, how do you keep track of all of these relationships? How do you like devote your time to all these well, different D things? Dave has a spreadsheet, I think. <laughs> I do. And that's, that's literally how we keep track of, of what wow. we're involved in. And we're not hands-on in, in most of them, I'd say. Okay. Um, but we, we have a great relationship with them all. Um, but there are, depending on how much we've invested, that kind of helps us allocate our sure. time. So we, yeah. we, right now... We, we will invest as little as 10000 each or as much as a million dollars each. That's the very, very high end. So depending on how much we're invested, depends on how much time we'll allocate to kind of advising and engaging with, with the founders and helping them along the way. But even when it's an occasional phone call of like they have a question for us, how did you deal with this? Or, you know, we potentially have a buyer or a suitor for the company. How should we work with them? Should we hire a banker? There's always ways to help. And like that for me is the coolest piece of this whole thing. To be able to take what we've kind of accumulated in our, you know, time doing this and, and being able to share and, and educate and help people out, we love that. And in addition to the things we invest in, we also work as advisors. Um, we work with an accelerator in Texas. Um, so we, we just like to help. And that's kind of why we also decided to put this on YouTube. Yeah. And I think the big one of the biggest things we can contribute you know, is our graveyard of mistakes. We have a huge graveyard of mistakes that not just we have made, but our portfolio companies have made over the past 10 or 15 years. And that's where we could bring a lot of insight as to, no, don't go down that road. Or if you do, you should be aware of these challenges, right? Because we've seen a lot and, and you, you kind of can't put a value on that. Sure, so so bouncing off of that, I mean, how do you decide which startups and which ventures to actually invest in? I know you guys were talking a little bit last night about how you guys would like sit down in a room and like bash it out between each other. Like how do you how do you decide like which ones you're going to invest in and what is that process? Like? That's what's really cool is we do, we're, not, we're not a venture fund, mm -hmm. so we do not have a mandate and we invest, we might be the only investors anywhere that I know of who will invest in anything from restaurants to tech companies to real estate to like Dave I mean how many we will invest in anything that's a good opportunity yeah, we're very opportunistic that way and just kind of we've grown our own kind of visibility yeah. especially in the Texas market so we kind of see every startup we we have the opportunity to meet with the founders and you know we, we might meet with 200 in a month and pair that down to, well, we want to do follow-up meetings with five of them, and then Chris might invest in one, I might invest in another, you know, we, we, we just kind of do what we want to do. Yeah, sure. so, so, so basically like one day we were meeting with the robotics company, and literally the next week we are driving to a farm where this guy is flipping RVs, right? Like he's buying RVs and like they don't even have a shelter for them. It's just a, basically a parking lot and they're fixing them up and they're flipping them on eBay. And like, so that's the range of companies that we will meet with. And we meet with hundreds of companies every year. Um, and we ultimately probably, I would say we invest in roughly 20 new companies a year, 20 new startups okay. on an annualized basis. But we'll also, we'll also chase our own ideas. So when we see opportunities, like you know, right now, we think there are a lot of opportunities in the better for you food space. So I was really into cauliflower pizza dough. I thought that was a trend that was accelerating the past six to nine months. I'm not sure if it's going to be as big as plant-based meat, like Beyond Meat and sure. the Impossible you know, Foods, but I think it could be pretty large. So we actually went out and looked for every single cauliflower pizza dough company 
and we called on every investor of every one of those companies trying to get them to sell us their shares because they're all private, right? Yeah. We eventually found one. We were able to secure some shares, and I love. I fell in love with this company. So did Jordan, who's not here today. But Dave was kind of on the fence and ultimately decided not to invest, right? And that's okay. And I'm hoping that they're successful in that, but I'm also hoping I didn't make a huge mistake by not <laughs> jumping in. A hundred percent. So like, what, what do the aspects of a good opportunity look like to you guys when you're looking at all these different areas, all these different ventures? Like, what, what are the things that you're looking for? Is it more based on the founders or more based on the idea? Like, what are you, what are you looking for? It's really a combination of both. You know, it, 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 smart people with smart ideas and finding a product market fit and some early success or at least some potential for success okay. is, is kind of really our, our starting point. Okay. And, and if you want to get more granular, I would say 80% of our decision comes down to deep analysis that we do on a company's cost to acquire customers at scale. Hmm. That okay. word at scale is really important. And we compare that to the realistic lifetime value of those customers while taking into account reasonable um, addressable market. Okay, so, so that's about 80% of our decision. The hmm. other 20% of our decision are like 30 to 40 other factors, founding team, all these other things. But we go so deep into those metrics and we'll spend, in some cases, up to 80 hours analyzing just those metrics and we will challenge the founder team in many cases we've been told harder than they've ever been challenged to prove that those metrics that are delivering to us are real and achievable and if those metrics make sense then we go on to the 20 percent right <laughs> of the other stuff we look at huh so that helps sure so so now i want to talk more a little bit about dumb money because I think what you guys are doing is, is very unique because you're not like most of, of the YouTube creators that are that are selling something to their audience, that are that are monetizing their audience at every turn they can they can take. So I want to hear more about that mission that, that you guys are on with, with Dumb Money, like what, what the goal is there. Yeah, I mean, Dumb Money for us, and before Dumb Money even, I think it's important to even look at the other side of what we do. We do yeah. a lot of startup investing, but a big part of what we do is trading stocks as well. Right. We've been doing that since we were 13 years old. We have a, a very unconventional methodology called social ARB, which is essentially trying to identify cultural shifts and shifts in consumer behavior by analyzing social media. So we, we basically analyze the volume of conversations on social channels like Twitter around products and brands. And when we identify things that are anomalies mm -hmm. or things that are changing products like the chicken Popeye's chicken sandwich, we're seeing those things quicker than Wall Street, and we're trading on that information. So that's the other side of what we do. Um, on, to answer this, your second question, we've had so much success as investors, and we continue to have so much success as investors, we don't necessarily need to rely on YouTube as a source of revenue for us. So YouTube, Dave, would you agree, is a source of fun for us, right? And a way to give back to the community and just share what we're so passionate about with the rest of the world in a way that's way bigger than what we do in our own community. It gives us an additional kind of goal too, you know, Sure. in addition to being successful in the investments, it, the whole idea of getting more subscribers and trying to come up with interesting content every week. We're creative people, you know, before we, before we got into business, we were directing commercials when we were in college and doing just, we've always been a part of like kind of a creative community right. and we haven't really been able to use that in our professional lives. Mm. And so it's it's getting back to that. And it's 
I don't, I don't think I would want to teach a course at a college. Sure. I, I don't think I'd be great at that. But I think that helping the younger entrepreneurs of the future and letting them see what a pitch to an investor looks like and letting, just kind of opening the, the curtain and letting people see what goes on in these kind of uh, business deals at, at every stage um, is educational. And it's hopefully entertaining as well. And I'll add to that, you know, Shark Tank, you know, is a big part of it too, because you see Shark Tank and, and nothing wrong with Shark Tank. It's opened up a lot of eyes for a lot of people and a lot of young people. But the reality is Shark Tank isn't real. That's not actually how companies raise money. Shark Tank and, is a game show. Yeah. And, it's yeah. Not, and they have the music and drama <laughs> and all of that to go along and, with and it. And no offense to Mark Cuban, love him. He's a Dallas guy too, just like us. But that's not how investors find companies, okay? And people think that that's how it works. And that's not how it works. And it got to a point where I was like, no, let's show the world how it actually works. Let's show how investors like us go about finding opportunities. It could take us a year cultivating relationships with founders before we pull the trigger on an investment, right? So like the real world of investing is actually getting out there, meeting people, networking, vetting people over a long period of time. And that's what our show shows you, right? It's like, how do we think? How do we go through that process? It, there's no stage on our show, right? And, and like we want to show the real side of early stage investing and what it's like to be an entrepreneur as well on the flip side of it. And I think hopefully we'll be successful in doing that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen a fair bit of your guys' content and I can definitely say that it really has opened my eyes to a lot more of, of what's actually going on because like you said, a lot of people are getting their information from places like Shark Tank where it's like, it's giving them a kind of a misconstrued sort of idea of, of how the world of, of startup investing actually actually functions. So um, I'm extremely grateful for you guys for, for doing that. I have a couple more questions that I like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up the show. So you guys feeling ready for those? Sure. Awesome. So the first of which, and Dave, we'll start with you on this one. Um, what is something that you're genuinely excited about right now? In business or in life? It can be anything, man. <laughs> well, I'm excited actually having come to this conference um, and just learning a little bit more about the whole world of financial YouTubers. Mm -hmm. You know, the content I watch on YouTube before we started being YouTubers was the you know, occasional funny cat video and, and how to fix things. And I've watched a lot of YouTube content about how to be a better YouTuber and how to do that. I hadn't really watched a lot of the financial content on YouTube. And there are some amazing people out there. So I'm, I'm excited to not only kind of cultivate relationships within this industry that we've just kind of stepped into, um, but also use what I've learned to improve our content on the show. Awesome. What about you, Chris? So, you know, in our team, I kind of take the lead on trading stocks, right? And I think there's never been a time that has been more exciting in terms of young people getting started trading stocks. Thanks to places like Robinhood, yep. a lot more people are opening up brokerage accounts. They're experimenting with trading stocks themselves, becoming active, self-directed investors. There are so many opportunities out there, especially leveraging social channels to detect change, to detect opportunities that can be mapped back to companies and trading opportunities. And I hope we can be a big part of inspiring the next generation to just get actively involved with that world. You know, I started, I don't know how many years ago now, like 10 years ago probably with 20, uh, 20 to $50,000. And I've turned that into well north of $10 million just trading in the public markets. So you can start with a reasonably small amount of money and turn it into eight figures over the course of a decade, not day trading, Right, but making just a few great trades a year in things that you can observationally see 
throughout your everyday life. Like identify these food trends that are happening, mm -hmm. right? Identify things that Wall Street is missing because they're kind of stuck in their old world ways in terms of how they interpret consumer behavior. I think as millennials and young Gen Zers, you guys have an opportunity to see through a lens that Wall Street has a really difficult time seeing through. And I hope we can help inspire you guys to start getting involved and making money, even if it's a little bit on the side, by doing what you most people think is impossible. It's not impossible. We've done it. We're dumb money. All of y'all are probably dumb money just like us. If we did it, so can you. That's huge. And it's, it's about finding your advantage too, because a lot of young people just assume they don't have any advantage, but like if they have their ear to like Twitter and they're like seeing all these things happen in real time, like they can be using that information to their advantage. Yeah, earlier this year, Jeffree Star, big YouTuber, makeup review guy, he had a review on Elf Cosmetics. The stock went up 50% in 60 days. That was one of our biggest trades that we've made in years. And it's all because we know who Jeffree Star is and we're watching him. Do you think any of the analysts on Wall Street are watching Jeffree Star YouTube videos? Absolutely no not. Chance. I get alerts every time Jeffree Star has a video. I get alerted in real time because he might be saying something that could have a major impact on a cosmetics company. And like Wall Street does not understand that. But you guys should understand that yep. and can. And like we want to inspire you that that's, that's how easy it can be. Mm. And it's finding the next Jeffree Star. Like now I think Wall Street is starting to tune in to the fact that this, this one channel might move the stock. Find the next one. Oh, that's huge. That's huge. So where can our listeners go if they want to find out more about you guys, uh, Dumb Money, and everything that you're up to right now? YouTube.com slash Dumb Money will take you there. Um, we're on... We're lightly on Instagram. We're definitely on Twitter um, at Chris Camillo, at Dave Hansen, at Dumb Money TV. Uh, yeah, just go to YouTube, Dumb Money. That's us. We put out an episode a week. It's like five to ten minutes. Try to keep it fast-paced and cool and casual. We try to make it like a TV show. Yeah. We don't we don't do the talking head interviews. Uh -huh. We and and when we do sit down with a founder, it's it's a fast-paced kind of thing. So and and it's more of a vlog-style format than sure. a yeah. um, than anything you'd see on CNBC. Yeah. If there was a, such a thing as a lifestyle investor, that's, that's us. us. <laughs> I love it. And I could totally see like this turning into like a Netflix show in the next like two, three years. Like I feel like you guys definitely have like the, the potential and like what your content, it already reminds me of like something that would be a Netflix show. No, we, we wouldn't say no to that Netflix. Netflix if you're <laughs> listening. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show. It's Absolutely. been an absolute pleasure. Um, and, and I really learned a lot from you guys. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, us as well. We, we can't wait to keep following you. You're, you're killing it. Sweet. Thank you. Thanks. Bada bing, bada boom. That is a wrap, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this last episode of Young Smart Money. If you did, you know what to do. Um, drop us a five-star review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. I literally run on reviews. Like, they are the fuel that goes into my body and gets me jazzed up, fired up every single morning. So, if you take the time, literally, it's like five seconds to drop a review. If you're in the podcast app, literally, just go to Young Smart Money. Scroll all the way down past all the episodes at the very bottom. There'll be a section that says write a review. If you could drop me all of your thoughts, all of your questions, all your comments, all your concerns. I would love to read those. I read each and every one of them. Um, and I really do take them all to heart. So that would mean a ton if you could do that. 
Otherwise, um, if you guys are wondering how I make money on the show, because if you all notice, I don't put sponsors on the podcast. I don't believe in that. I don't want to waste your time listening to some ad about Squarespace or whatever they're promoting these days on the podcast. And I've been approached by plenty of sponsors, believe me, but they all get shown where the door is because that's not what I believe in. But I am still able to monetize this podcast, turn it into a consistent five figures per month of income. If you guys are wondering how I do that, um, I put together a free cheat sheet for y'all. It's a little bit more than a cheat sheet. It's kind of like an ebook. It's like 20 some pages long where I laid out the 16 methods that I use to monetize my podcast. So if you guys are interested in that, I'm um, getting completely free. Just head over to applecriter.com slash cheat sheet. That's applecriter.com slash cheat sheet. And you can download that completely for free. Cheat sheet is all one word. Uh, don't ask me to spell it though, because I will probably mess up. So guys, applecriter.com slash cheat sheet for the free cheat sheet. How I'm able to monetize my podcast consistently five figures per month off of that. Um, I really am passionate about podcasting and I want to teach y'all how to do it because I see these guys making videos on YouTube teaching you like the, the bare minimum, the basics, the stuff that nobody like needs to actually learn. Um, but it's, it's that advanced stuff. It's how to actually make money doing this without having to put sponsors on your show that I think is really, truly valuable. So that's why I wanted to share that with y'all. So guys, again, absolutely free to download. Link will also be in the show notes for this episode. Otherwise, I hope you guys have an absolutely wonderful rest of your day wherever it leads you. And I'm glad you decided to spend the last hour here with us on Young smart money.